guys are here. It's good to see you again. This is, I thought that maybe it would be less weird this week, and it's still weird. I feel like I have everybody spread out with masks on, but I am really glad to see you guys. Also, if you can keep up the inconvenience of signing up for each service each week, uh, I apologize about that, and that's just the way we'll have to do it for now. And as we go along here, we'll see how things go, and maybe we can start expanding from like 40 uh, people of service to a little bit more, but we'll see how, we, we want to be safe, and we'll see how things go. So, and, and as always, like, keep me updated with what you're thinking. If you have any suggestions or problems, like, please let me know. And um, I'd be really, really glad to talk with you about those things. I don't really have any announcements, so let's go ahead and stand and we'll begin worship. And let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sin to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the expiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. You can be seated. Actually, this morning we have two epistle readings. And the first one is from Hebrews 10. And uh, it's walking right into the middle of a conversation that the writer of Hebrews is having where he's explaining over the course of uh, five or six, seven chapters how the Old Testament sacrificial system served a certain function 
but it's now because Jesus has come. It's now obsolete. And so we'll pick up right in the middle of that. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, and this is still Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, back to the writer of Hebrews. When he, when Jesus said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He abolishes the first one in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. think that's a Christmas hymn, right? Because we sing it at Christmas. It's actually not really even a, a Christmas song. It's a new creation song. Uh, Jesus rules and reigns, and so everything is being transformed. He's making all things new again. There's a great line in there about uh, no more let sin, that's a moral category, right? Or sorrows, that's a psychological category, grow. Or thorns infest the ground. It's an environmental thing. Like, Jesus is repairing all of creation, our relationships, our souls, our minds, um, the environment. And so, anyway, that's kind of what Paul's talking about in Romans 5 through 8. And so, I, it's, a, I, it's maybe kind of weird for some people to sing that in the middle of June, but it's, a, it's this theme of God renewing all things. Romans 5 through 8 is God is telling, Paul is telling the story of salvation from the beginning, Romans 5, Adam and the fall, to the end, Romans 8, new creation. And what does that look like over that story? And so this hymn fits in good with that. Let's, if we can, can we read uh, Romans 6, 15 through 23 together? Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But 
thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, this will be a little bit different. We, we, we're working through our, our way through Romans, and we ran into, this is the reading we had last week, and we ran into this concept of sanctification. And so what I wanted to do, I talked about just a tiny bit, and then I wanted to step back and talk about sanctification uh, a little bit deeper picture. And then next week we'll go back to Romans chapter 7, and we'll take up the question of the law. Romans 6 is about Exodus. Just like Israel, he talks about the baptism at the beginning. Just like Israel was baptized in the Red Sea and left their baptism free from slavery in a new independent free people under God, so you and I, he, Paul insists in Romans 6, 4, those of us who have been baptized into Christ are now dead to sin and no more slaves and alive to God. We, have, we are in a new status. Next week, chapter 7, we'll talk about the law because that's what happens next. Liberation from slavery, Mount Sinai. And then the question is, what good does the law do, if any? And Paul will insist it does a whole lot of good, but it doesn't do what you think it's going to do. It doesn't do what you think it might do. But meanwhile, uh, this week, uh, sanctification. And here's why. Because Paul spends a lot of time in Romans 6 talking about, you know, you you and I have a new status. We're in Christ. That means we're not in Adam. We're not under the thumb of sin and slavery uh, and sin and unrighteousness and death anymore. But now we've been liberated to righteousness. But then he goes right on and says, so think about that. And then don't give your members to be slaves. What is it, Paul? Am I free from slavery to sin? Or do I need to try not to be a slave? It can't be both. I can't be free and then be told don't be a slave. And the answer to that conundrum, first of all, that's not just a sort of like Maybe some of you even blanked out when I was saying that because you know Bible words here, Bible words there. But like in your own life, you know this. Like in Jesus Christ, we're completely accepted by God. Well, then why is it that like I keep on talking the way I do? I keep snapping at that guy the way I always snap at him when we have this conversation. Why is it that I can't control this one part of my brain that always wants to go to this certain spot? Why is it that like I have this sin habit that I just can't shake? And what am I going to do about it? So typically, for those of you who are Lutheran, our response has been, in our tradition, lately has been, you ask Jesus to forgive you for that sin, and then you try to be better. But really, you know God's forgiven you, so you don't need to be too stressed out or feel guilty about it. I'm not saying that's wrong. I I do think that we need to ask God to forgive our sins, and I do think we need to try. We'll talk about both those things later. But it's not enough for me. I actually want to be a better human. I don't feel better about myself because I always give in to a certain lust and just, we'll pray about it and, you know, eventually God will take care of that. I, I, want, I want help. I want help in being a better human. That's what sanctification is all about. The, the word for that is sanctification. Now, sanctification, I think I mentioned this last week. Let me do it again real quick. 25 cent, it's one of those religious words. There's like these synonyms for salvation in the Bible. And there's a lot of, you know, like redemption is one we talk about as religious people. Uh, Redemption is a pawn shop word. Uh, Something is bought back. It's it's redeemed. Uh, God redeems us. Uh, We belong to him because he created us. But he bought us back even though we actually really belong to him. He buys us back to himself with the blood of his son. Um, Justification, that's courtroom language. You're in a court scene and the judge says you're not guilty. You've been justified. Adoption, that's legal family language, right? I don't have parents. I'm an orphan. But God takes me and sticks me into his son, Jesus Christ. And that makes me and you children of God as well. 
Well, sanctification is one of those words. Sanctification just means holy, to be made holy. To be sanctified is to be made holy. Now, there's three aspects of our sanctification in the Bible. There's an initial, like when you become a believer, you are sanctified. You're set apart for God. Look at verse 10 of Hebrews 10. We're going to spend some time, a few minutes in Hebrews 10 here. So if you can look back there in the bulletin. Um, And by that will, uh, by the will of Jesus, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You've been, in Christ, you've been sanctified once for all. You've been made holy. You'll never be more holy in Jesus Christ than you are now. God looks at you and says, he looks at you and says, you, Aaron Miller, are just as holy as my son Jesus. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. All right. But again, I know that like, I'm, I still look like I'm a nasty person, right? I still do things I shouldn't do, and I say and think things I shouldn't say. So there's also a promise. Here's the third element. A final, complete sanctification. The Bible teaches about this too. Let me, let, let me quote to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So right at the end of the letter, of, uh, to the first letter to the Thessalonians, and in that letter, well, so at the end of the letter, Paul's trying to encourage them that there's, there's, God's got this plan. And he says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, make you holy absolutely completely, through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this final sanctification out there where you will never, ever again be selfish. You'll never, ever again do something to damage a relationship or to damage the environment or to damage your body or to damage your brain. But that's at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. That's final sanctification, when God makes everything, including us, new. So what about in the middle? You have initial sanctification. You have this declaration that you're holy, even though you know that your condition actually isn't. You have the promise that your condition will one day be completely holy, through and through, body, soul, and mind. What about about the in-between state? Well, in the Bible, we call this progressive sanctification, this promise of God that he is making us holy who are in him. That he is slowly but surely transforming us to make us look like Jesus. If you are a Christian, this is happening to you. And that is described really, really like perfectly in sort of a nutshell in verse 14 of Hebrews 10. Look back down there. It's the last verse of the Hebrews uh, reading from this morning. For by a single offering, this is Jesus he's talking about, right? Jesus was offered on the cross. For by a single offering, now there's two concepts here. There's two things that happened to us because Jesus died on the cross. By this single offering of Jesus, he has perfected for all time. You are perfect for all time. Those who are, here's a second concept, who are being sanctified, who are being made, which one is it, Paul? Am I perfected for all time or am I being made perfect? Am I being made holy? I can't be perfect for all time but still being made holy. And of course, Paul would say, yeah, they're both true, right? Because there's a difference between our position, which is in Christ, perfect, no questions asked. Out from underneath slavery, this is your new status. And our condition, which is, don't let your members be slaves to righteousness because you know you're prone to that. You know that that's wanting to come back and get you over and over. Hebrews 10 is terrific too. Because the way that, let's spend just a few minutes here in Hebrews 10, 5 through 14. Because the way that this is described, how is, how is this happening? How does this sanctification happen? Like we want to, I, I want to know, I shouldn't say we, because who knows what you want to know. But I want to know, like, how do I become holy? I want, to, I want victory over sin. How does this happen? Hebrews 10 is going to give us a really good clue. And it has to do with this tension between you are perfectly holy in Jesus, but God is now making you holy in your life by what he talks about here. So, like I said earlier, there's this description of the Old Testament sacrificial system, which serves a certain function, but it's now obsolete. Sacrifices and offerings God has not desired, quoting from Psalm 40, but a body you've prepared for the Messiah. Burn offerings, sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then the Messiah says, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. God takes no more pleasure in sacrifices and sin offerings, but the Messiah comes to do God's will. He abolishes the first in order to do the second. Every, now look at this, verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service. Like a priest are on their feet. Think about Old Testament priest. They're on their feet nonstop, right? They stand daily. And why is this? Is because you offer a sacrifice for sin. But here comes somebody else who's also a sinner, and they've got a sacrifice. Then you offer the sacrifice for them. 
and then for the next person, and then for the next person. And by the time you get done with those people, the first person is back with another offering because we all keep on sinning, right? So the priests never stopped. Animals killed over and over and over and over again. But with Jesus, he offers one sacrifice for sins forever, for all time, a single sacrifice, and he sits down at the right hand of God because it's completely done. It's completely done. No more questions asked. Let's talk. Can we talk? So here's what this means. Old Testament sacrificial system, what was its job? It, it wasn't just like this pagan, you know, primitive notion that like, well, to make the scary gods up there happy, we better kill a bunch of animals. And now Jesus comes, and by that time, we're sort of, you know, we've evolved, and we sort of know that sort of barbaric nonsense is, you know, very superstitious. We don't need that anymore. That's actually not what's going on. Go, go back and read the book of Leviticus. It's super boring. It's about the sacrificial system, right? It's about, like, what, what's the purpose of it? God, end of Exodus. God, this is right before Leviticus. God is coming to live with us. He's, he's moving into the tabernacle. And if that's going to happen, if the almighty, holy God is going to live here with us, we have to be holy too. We can't, he, he can't have contact with us in our sins. So here's this book of Leviticus, elaborate sacrificial system to make sure our sins are covered. What is the notion behind that? It's a true notion. You, can't ha- you and I cannot have contact with the holy God unless we're made holy first. That's, that's true. But now, what does Jesus do? And look, I, I need you to pay attention because what I'm about to say next is the most important thing I want you to remember from the sermon today. But by far the most important, so pay attention to this. Jesus reverses this. No longer is it the case that we are made holy so that we can go into God's presence. In Jesus, we're made holy by going into God's presence. We're not made holy so that we can go meet with God. God meets us, unites us to himself in Jesus, and by uniting us to himself, makes us holy. It's completely backwards, right? So the gold, is, the gold is not made pure so that it can go into the fire. The gold is made pure by going into the fire. This is the brand new gospel-centered, Jesus-centered concept of the gospel, is that now you don't have to be holy so you can go to God. God will come to me and you and make us holy by uniting us with himself. Okay, so I think that's super important. I, I don't know. You've got masks on, so I, don't get, I can't get any vibe of like, this is like, whoa, this is amazing. Maybe you are under the mask, but I just can't tell. But I'm telling you, it is amazing. What is it, like, how does it work out in daily life? Well, I talk to a lot of people who, me too, who live under the law. And what, the way that looks is this, is I have lots of conversations with people that will go something along the lines of, well, I haven't taken communion in the past couple weeks because... I just like, there's this thing I'm struggling with. Like, I, I'm kind of bitter at this person, and I just can't shake it. I've asked God to help me not be bitter. Or there's this place in my, like, I keep on thinking these lustful thoughts, and I just can't, I can't, I can't shake it. And I just, like, I don't feel like I'm worthy, like, right now to receive communion. There's a related concept here is people will say to me, like, just stuff's kind of going wrong in my life right now, and I'm not sure what's up. I, I just don't feel God's presence. Like, I pray, and I ask, you know, I, I ask, like, you know, God, where are you at? But, and I, maybe, like, I've done some stuff in my life. I know that I've sinned, and maybe he's just like, you know, I can't, I, I can't be around you right now, and I just don't sense God's presence. I had that conversation a lot. Well, it's actually, it makes good under the law sense. If God's holy, we can't be in contact with him. But it makes bad gospel sense. In Jesus, you've been united to Christ so that the answer to you not being bitter or lustful or you, you know, struggling with this God, the answer is not, I shouldn't go to God. The answer is, you have to go to God because in God, he purifies that. God makes us holy. If you're not holy, your problem is not that you're, you shouldn't be with God. Your problem is that you're not with God enough. That's the problem. The fire is not scared of the gold. The fire will purify the gold. You ha- we, ha- we have to learn to see this backwards and begin embracing the presence of God. More on what that means practically in just a second, but one more illustration before we get there. So I was talking to Angela yesterday about Harry and I just have tons of stuff in common. And I know you're going to be like, okay, Harry's my son. I know you're going to be like, well, of course, you know. 
Right? So we, we like almost all the same things. Why is that? You know, just, just, it, it wasn't the case that I was like looking for a son, kind of shopping around, you know, and I went online to like the website where you find your kids. And I put in like the filter, like be interested in World War II history. You know, love baseball, like jazz. You know, click, and then there's Harry and like two other kids who were clearly inferior. So I chose him. It's not that... It's not that like I chose Harry to be my son because he liked history and jazz and baseball. Harry likes history, jazz, and baseball because he's my son, and that's completely shaped his likes and dislikes. Now, he will reject some of that stuff someday, and he'll accept some of it, but that's just the way it works. He likes the things I like because he's been in my presence so long. That's the way we should think about sanctification. We will begin looking like Jesus thinking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, when we're constantly in his presence. It's not the case that we need to start thinking and looking and acting like him so that we can be in his presence. It's the case that we're in his presence, and that begins to transform us. So what can we do here? Make yourself available to the means of grace. Like, I know this, this is the same thing that I would say to my confirmands, but you need to be reading your Bible. Everyone, every one of you in here needs to be reading your Bible. And somebody's like, well kind of know what the Bible says. It's not the point. The point is not head knowledge. The point is transformation. I don't ever say to myself, well, I'm going to talk to my friends today and hopefully they say something new and interesting to me. You don't do that. You go hang out with your friends because you like to hang out with your friends, not to learn new information. Now, sometimes when you hang out with your friends, you learn new information, especially when it's first starting, right? Especially if you're a new Christian or you haven't read the Bible very much, a lot of it's like, whoa, this is mind-blowing. But, but sometimes it's not, especially the longer you get into that relationship. That's not the point. I don't talk to Angela to learn new things. I talk to Angela because I love her, and me being married, married to Angela transforms and shapes me. I think and talk and act the way I do because I'm married to Angela and because I'm your friend and because I have the kids that I have and I live, the town, live in the town that I'm in. That's why you read your Bible, because it transforms you. And if you're not reading your Bible... Okay, so you might know some facts about, you can tell me what the word salvation means or what the word predestination means or what the word substitutionary means. But you're not being transformed to look and act and think like Jesus. In other words, you're not being sanctified. You are sanctified by being with Jesus, and Jesus is here in his word. Prayer is another one. Why should I pray? I mean, God already knows everything. You guys have heard that before. That's not the point. Why should I talk to Angela? She already knows where I grew up. She already knows what I do for a living. She already knows I like jazz. What do I need to talk to her for? That's not the point. The point is relationship. The point is being transformed and melded in this new thing that's being created. The Aaron-Angela relationship. The Aaron-me-and-you relationship. That's why, we talk, that's why you talk to God. Because he begins shaping you with his holiness. Sacraments, same thing. The worst way to come to the rail is, oh, religious thing on Sunday morning. I guess I should do that. Worst thing to do. Not as bad, but almost as bad is, I'll go take my medicine. Like somehow the wine and the bread magically infuse some sort of grace into me or something, or like shot of Jesus. Instead, think personal contact with the creator God. Personal contact with the one who died for me and rose from the dead for me. That's what that is. I, you already know what bread and wine taste like. You've done it before. But what God wants is, continued relationship with you that transforms and shapes the way we think and feel and act and talk. That's what sanctification does. Means of grace into the presence of Jesus, shaped and transformed. Now, so I'm going to take communion, and then all of a sudden I'm going to stop thinking greedy thoughts. All of a sudden I'm not going to be so enslaved to money and and social advancement. It doesn't work like that. A lot of this is long-term. Like There's stuff Angela has been working on me for decades now. Right? This is slow. Sanctification is progressive, and it will never be perfect. It's not until the return of Jesus that body, soul, and mind through and through completely sanctified, 1 Thessalonians 5. But it's happening now. It's happening now. Okay, now real quick, what does this look like? I've got a few things here, and we'll see how much time I have to get to them. Um, uh, self-examination. This is, one of the, this is one of the ways that if you're in the presence of Jesus, this will start to look like self-examination. If you are not examining yourself, if you're not thinking, there's two things what I mean by self-examination. There's two aspects to this. And if you leave one out, then you'll screw the whole thing up. You have to examine yourself. Oh, so let me say this. Go, to, go back to Romans 6, verse 11. 
Consider, Paul tells us we've been baptized into Christ. That's your status. You're perfect. Dead to sin, alive to righteousness. But then in verse 11, he has to say, so consider yourself dead to sin and alive to righteousness. It's not just, it's, I'm going to say this the wrong way. It is enough that you've been baptized into Christ and you are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. But if you want to progress on the path of sanctification, you have to consider yourself. You have to, by faith, know that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ's righteousness. First part of this. No, consider yourself as one with Christ. Second part of this, be rigorously critical in examining your own flaws and the flaws of your church and the flaws of your synod and be ruthless in rooting those things out and getting rid of them. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, if you're going to come to the table, you have to examine yourself first. Do not come up here naive about your own goodness. One of the downfalls of any person, church, synod, business, family, you name it, whatever, Little League baseball team, is the inability to be self-critical. When that organization stops being self-critical, it becomes defensive. People will criticize the LCMS, and many of us in the LCMS will just defend the LCMS. We'll say, well, we're, we're right, and here's the reasons why we're right and you're wrong. That is not the path of sanctification. I'm not saying that we aren't right. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that, that, that we were right about a lot of different things. But if we're going to be sanctified, we have to, one of all, be convinced that we as a church are united to Christ. But second of all, be rigorous in examining what's wrong with our church and our synod, and let's get rid of those things and be transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, then we're not being sanctified. We're being self, self-sanctified, if you, want, if you wish, self-justified. Now, let me say this. You have to have both of these. If you have the union with Christ part down, you're confident of that, but you're not self-critical, you'll look like a lot of self-righteous Christians that you know. Just sort of naive to their own um, nasty things that people don't like about them. You know, naive to their own sin. Self-confident in their own failings. That that kind of obnoxious person is is not pleasant to be around. And is also, again, self-justified. If you don't consider yourself to be dead to Christ and alive to God, but you are rigorously self-critical, you're going to have some serious psychological problems. You're going to struggle with despair. A lot of, a lot of you are one, you're, we're all sort of like teetering one way or the other. And what I want to say is the path of sanctification is both of those. Hold both of those. And if, you're, if you tend to be self-critical, but forget that you're one with Jesus Christ, then you're going to struggle with depression. Sometimes there's other reasons for depression too. But you're going to struggle with self-doubt and with self-criticism. And you need to be reminded, you are perfect in Jesus Christ. But if you are over here and you're like, oh yeah, I'm perfect with Christ, so I guess I pray a prayer of forgiveness every once in a while, I'm good to go. You need to like swing over here to the self-critical side. In other words, what I'm saying is, the path of sanctification, if we're doing this in a biblical way, will look like Christ-centered self-criticism. All right, Uh, second thing, uh, keep an eye on the time here, I don't want to get us too long. Imitating Jesus, it'll look like imitating Jesus. Romans 8, 29, which we'll get to uh, later when we get to Romans 8. Paul says, for those God foreknew, he predestined, he predestined you guys. You know what your destiny is? Not going to heaven when you die. He's not going to say that. That's not important to Paul. He doesn't care anything about you going to heaven when you die. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the Christian's destiny, is to be and act and think and talk like Jesus. So the path of sanctification will look like that. Now, we can't die for the sins of the world, right? I mean, there's some things only Jesus can do. But what does it mean to imitate Jesus? One of the main things is, and this could be a whole sermon series, so I'm just going to say this one thing and leave the rest of it out there for us to explore on our own or together later. Selflessness. Giving up ourselves for each other. When I begin to be transformed and shaped and sanctified in Jesus I will start to think less of myself and more of Angela, less of myself and more of my kids, less of myself and more of you guys. And it will be reflected in how I talk to you and how I think about you and what I'm investing my emotional energy in and my time and my money will not be about me. I will start to see myself not as the main character in this movie and you guys as extras, but as you, you as main characters and me as an extra or more appropriately, Jesus as the main character and us as fellow extras in the story of his life, the story of redemption. Imitating Jesus. Okay. Uh, The third thing, it'll look like a fight. 
Because that's what's in front of you if you want to be sanctified. Remember I told the story last week of Hiro Onoda, if you were here or if you watched it, if you, if you live streamed the service. The, the Japanese soldier who hid out in the hills of the Philippines for 30 years after the war, fighting Filipinos because he was convinced that the war was still going on. And not until his commanding officer, now in his 60s, went and told him, we surrendered and I command you to surrender too. Did he stop? Well, the Filipinos are fighting this guy and at no point were they allowed to say, hey, union with Christ, man, the war's over. Just relax. It was a fight all the time. Because the, I'm telling you, the enemy and your flesh and the world guaranteed defeated. You're no longer under their thumb. You are now in Christ. They're still going to fight. In their death throes, they're still going to attack us. And you, you have a war in front of you. Now, what, the, the funny thing is this, is that, well, it's not funny, haha, but the, the interesting thing is this, is that many Christians will be like, I just, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm just struggling with this sin. I got this one, my friend of mine, I, I have in mind, who like for the past three years, he's been telling me, I struggle with this sin all the time. And part of what I want to tell him is, I get it. I want you to experience victory. But the fact that you're struggling shows that you're being sanctified because you're in the fight. What I worry about is when me in my own heart or when I talk to people and I say, hey, you know, what can I pray for you about? What are you struggling with? Oh, I don't know. I'm doing pretty good. That's the sort of like naivety where the enemy is going to snipe you. That's the sort of like blindness to your own faults, your own temptations if you are not blind, if you are self-critical, you have a fight in front of you. It's going to look like a fight. And that's, that's not bad. Don't think something's going wrong here. Think, if I'm fighting against the flesh in the name of Jesus, something is going right here. The Holy Spirit's at work. Because, here, here's, here's a fourth thing, let me add this to it. I'll wrap this up, I'll make this quick. Because the fight's about mortification, that's a fancy, again, that's a fancy theologian word, an old word for putting to death. Paul says in Colossians 3, so here's these two things again. Since you have been raised with Christ, you're already dead and you're already raised up to new life. Put to death what is earthly. Well, what do you mean, Paul? If I've already been raised with Christ, how can I, I'm already alive. How do I put to death? Well, they're both, they're both true. You've been raised with Christ, so, so put to death. What you're called to do is put to death the things. In the name of Jesus, by virtue of your union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the things that are trying to enslave you. It's going to look like a, a fight to the death. Have you ever killed a snake? I, uh, I killed a snake once when I was a kid, and I didn't even really need to because it was a black snake. But there's like this horror of snakes. And I, sorry, this is probably inappropriate, but I killed it with a baseball bat. And I remember like being almost possessed with like a crazed anger. Like my heart was pounding, and I was like whacking and whacking and whacking at it. I'm not saying that was right. It's just an illustration, right? But, but I'm saying that's the attitude that the Bible calls us to with our sins. Meanwhile, here I am. I'm struggling with greed. And I'm like, God, please forgive me for my greed. Amen. Okay, I prayed that prayer. That's good. And I walk around like it's not a fight to the death. And what I need to do is I need to get the baseball bat of the gospel out and like go crazy, whacking away at the thing. Again, is, that, is it nicer to have a nice, calm, at peace life? probably in a certain sort of sense. But if mortification is going to happen, it's going to be a fight to the death. So just be ready for that. Let me end on a positive one real quick here, okay? Renewed humanity. I've already mentioned this real briefly, but um, this, is what, this is what Jesus is trying to create. He's not trying to get you out of this world to take you to heaven when you die. He's trying to renew this creation and renew us. Remember, our destiny, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. When you, be, when you submit to the presence of Jesus, when you start filling up on the word, when you start living life walking with the Spirit, when you start like embracing the sacrament for what it is, contact with the Creator God who loves you and wants to hold you, you'll start to become a new human. It's never be perfect until Jesus comes back. But a new type of human that has victory over the sinful thought patterns and sinful speech patterns and sinful behavior patterns because Christ died and rose from the dead to make that real in our lives. It already is. You're already dead to sin and alive to God. So consider that you're dead to sin and alive to God. All right, let's pray. God, uh, be with us. Open our eyes to this uh, fact, Lord, that, that we are made. We do not need to make ourselves holy so we can come into your presence, but that you have made us. You have put us into your presence and by doing that made us holy. Help us to embrace this reality. Help us to live this reality out. This word-based, 
spirit life, sacrament-fueled life of being connected to you and being made holy all the time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys stand with me, we'll pray uh, more together. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, uh, again, I pray that you would be with us this morning and that you would um, make us holy, that you would sanctify us as individuals, but sanctify us as a church, God. Sanctify St. James Lutheran Church. We don't want to defend ourselves. We don't want to be here as a testimony to the purity of Lutheran doctrine. We want to be here as a living, breathing bonfire of your glory in Glen Carbon. We want people to look at this church and to be drawn irresistibly to who you are. And so revive us. Wake us up and make us alive in you. Convince us that we are one with you, but make us self-critical. Help us to be in your word, learning you, knowing you, spending time with you, being transformed by who you are so that we can be on mission here. So that we can be a concrete, tangible piece of evidence. Just exactly like the pillar of cloud and fire at the tabernacle in Exodus, that this church, St. James, would exist as a pillar of cloud and fire here in Glen Carbon. Lord, in your mercy. Father, it's real easy right now to pray for those who are struggling with sickness. We pray that you would get rid of this coronavirus. We pray that there wouldn't be a second outbreak. And if there is, we pray that you would make it minimal and that you would give fast healing to everybody who's stricken with it. We pray for all the sicknesses that people are struggling with, and I want to pray especially this morning for Lynn, who was in the hospital this past weekend and who I believe is home now, but is still recovering. I pray that you would give her strength and that you would pour energy and life into her body and that you would bring her uh, back to wholeness and health uh, soon. Lord, in your mercy. Father, give us repentance. In a polarized culture where the temptation the Instagram temptation to pick a side and defend that side is so strong. Help us to be repentant all the time. God, help us to be repentant of being greedy. Help us to be repentant of being filled with lust. Help us to be repentant for thinking that we're right all the time. Help us to be repentant of our racism. At all these points where we think that, oh, that's not our problem, God, grant us the, the, the eyes of wisdom to see it is our problem and that we need forgiveness, and that we need healing and transformation, and sanctify us. Give us repentance. Give us a lifetime of repentance. Lord, in your mercy. And I, I finally, I want to pray, uh, I think we all want to praise you and thank you this morning for our fathers, uh, many of whom are good and godly men, or even if not believers in you, uh, good men who loved us and did their best to raise us. Uh, but we also know that even the best of us uh, and there's not many of us who are the best of, even the best of us fathers are still bad fathers, still selfish and uh, 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 greedy and uh, prone to ignoring. So we want to praise you most of all for you being our true father, our holy father, our hallowed father, our heavenly father. Help us to model our fatherhood and what we expect out of fatherhood on you. Help us to seek what we seek from our fathers and our mothers and our spouses, and our kids, and our friends. Help us to seek that in only you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we, pray only, we can only pray these things because the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, has covered us, has made us holy, and has brought us into your presence. Amen. Let's confess our faith today with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. 
And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, His prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Oh, oh. 